We are back for another episode. Simon is with me. Were you on last week? I don't even remember who was on the podcast last week. I wasn't, no. I got a text that was like, hey, can you record right now? Oh, yeah. I was, I was trying like, to nah. bring get the, I was, <laughs> I was trying like, to get the nah. band back together. That's right. And only Jason was available. I, I text you like an hour later and you're like, no, no, it's too late now. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, you know, this is life, buddy. Yeah, and it moves fast. <laughs> uh, in more ways than one. Uh, so we're back. Um, we're going to do something a little different this week. I'm going to talk about leaving reviews on the podcast first. Usually I, I say that for the end. And um, I, I've been talking with guys who listen to the podcast and they're like, why do you do that at the end? You should do it at the beginning. That's how podcasts go. So if you like this podcast, rate and review it. iTunes. And a new thing that I didn't know about um, that Leo told me is to leave a review for us on Facebook. If you leave reviews for us on Facebook, that helps us out too. And then We're if you, on Facebook? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, that's this is why you got to go leave reviews because people like Simon don't even know that we're on Facebook. If you have Instagram, you should follow us on Instagram because I'm the one who po- does the Instagram post. Leo does Facebook. He does Twitter. Occasionally, I'll do Twitter. And when I get on Twitter, Leo doesn't like it because I, I, I make messes and then Leo has to clean them up. But, um, you know, I go liking videos like from Pornhub or something. But for the most part, um, follow us on Instagram. Definitely follow us on Instagram. And uh, also, I want to send a shout out. We're doing shout outs now. What, what are we coming to? Um, Ryan Guido. Uh, this, this is a guy who we, we uh, talk with a lot in the chat. And if, you, if you'd like to get involved in the chat, we have two chats, a Discord chat and a Slack chat. Now, Discord is mostly for fights. But for during the week, just regular talking about boxing... Um, I spend more time in the Slack one, I, the Discord one. Uh, there's a lower barrier to entry, you know. In the Slack, you got to send me your email, and you know, people take that a little more serious than just clicking a link and you're there, you're off and running chatting. And then also, Tweed Glocks Ganja, another user who um, is a listener. This this guy is a he's a cool guy. These are both cool guys that are in the chat a lot, um, and I'm giving them a shout out. So let's start, Simon. That was a long intro, but not so bad. If you listen to other podcasts with like advertisements and stuff, you can get like 10 minutes deep into the recording before they even start generating any content. But here we go. Andre Ward retired. And I want to say something. Just let me rant for a little bit, Simon, because, you know. I know. This is going to be hard for you. I'm a fan of Andre Ward. Um, But here we go. This, there's just been this popular narrative this year. Fighters athletes in general, specifically from the NFL, retiring early. And in boxing, it's especially important because we're seeing this generation now of fighters who are very good, skilled fighters who are retiring on their own and not letting or having the ring be the one that retires them. Because we've seen it so many times in the past where a fighter basically gets beat into retirement. And now we're seeing guys uh, in boxing and in the NFL who are retiring early. And I think you could point to the growing knowledge that we have and all the studies that are being done about CTE and the long-term effects of head trauma on a person's life. And I think going forward, this is going to be a lot more common, specifically with fighters who are very good, because if you're not that great, you're not making that much money. But for guys that can make enough money, to live, they're going to choose health over prolonged profits. So uh, we could say, you know, Bradley, he's gone. Vladimir Klitschko, he's gone. Andre Ward, gone. 
Floyd Mayweather. We will not see these guys in a ring anymore. And I think these guys are doing the smart thing, which we haven't seen done basically much in boxing history. And they're choosing to retire on their own. Yeah, it it's still the case that lots of people fight way too long and let the ring retire them. It's not as if there's this um, huge shift where people have started retiring more, you know, in a more uh, timely fashion. Um, But it's, it's a start. Like there's a few that are starting to come out at the right time. Yeah. And Andre Ward's a really unique example because Ward, there's, there's stuff that he hasn't done in boxing or actually not that he hasn't done, but you could say that there's still things that he could do. He's young enough at, you know, early thirties and he hasn't taken much sustained damage over his career. Now, Bradley, I can understand because he's got that Monica Bradley contract. He's made a lot of money, uh, three Manny Pacquiao fights. He's fought on pay-per-view and Bradley's been in wars. He's fought mm. Manny Pacquiao three times. He, he went life and death with Ruslan Provodnikov. So, you know, there's there's a reason that you could see Bradley would, would retire, but Andre Ward, on the other hand, is different. And I think it's more Ward... He's <laughs> Ward's used to not boxing. What we've seen <laughs> with Andre Ward is that he's fine if he's not in the ring. Uh, mm. And so he's basically taking it like, you know what? There's not much for me to do left. Um, I've done what I need to do, so why don't I just enjoy my money? enjoy my family. I could get this nice job with HBO or ESPN doing commentary. And I have, uh, you know, some additional income to go on the side plus investments. I mean, Ward is fine. And, um, uh, you know, as somebody who wants to see Ward fight and, you know, there are fights out there for him, you know, they're not the most competitive fights. You know, I don't think anybody limited really options, Bobby I mean, Jack being a real threat, but you know, it's interesting at least. It, you you got to look at the reward element as well and um, which sort of fights would generate him the most money. And it's very slim pickings. I felt um, earlier this year, I thought that it was not impossible that we'd see him fight someone like Tony Bellew at Cruiserweight because Me of too. the lack of danger versus the uh, financial reward. But then with Bellew signing um, another fight, it kind of takes him out of the equation. And there's just really limited options where he can earn a good amount of money that's going to tempt him to do it. So I, I, I can totally see why just from a strat, like strategic point of view, how it would look like the best option. Yeah, I definitely thought he was going to take that Bellew fight. I mean, like you said, low risk, high reward, especially if they, I doubt Ward would ever do this, but if they were to do this in the UK, I can imagine this being a big deal. But we've seen with Luke Campbell, we've seen with Carl Frampton, UK fighters travel. So you don't need to go to the UK to make money to fight a UK fighter. Mm. UK, they'll come to Vegas. Um, so that 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 seemed like it was on the table for him. And, you know, I, I just think that Ward looked at it like, what am I really gaining from that? Does this help my legacy? Probably not. I mean, yeah, he could have moved to Cruiserweight, but like you beat Tony Bellew, good for you. You know, in the, in the grand mm. scheme of things, you just beat somebody with a name. I mean, nobody's going to look back at Floyd Mayweather's career and be like, man, Floyd Mayweather was the greatest fighter of his generation. I mean, he beat Conor McGregor. That's just not going to (laughs) happen. They're going to say, you know, he had a rival. He beat his rival. Ward had a rival. He beat him. And so what what better thing to do than to just go out on your own, keep what you've got intact, and get out the sport? But um, we, we can't spend the whole podcast talking about retired fighters. And I know you'd love it if we could, but 
there's uh, there's, a really good weekend of boxing behind us that we should try and uh, unpack. Yeah, I mean, listen, if we talk about Andre Ward, and it's Andre Ward, I think is really tough to talk about because essentially there are answers. There aren't many open-ended things that you could talk about with Ward. It's like, yeah, he beat him already. He beat him all. So what are we going to talk about? Um, what we can talk about, though, is something that was a little that was a little more open to interpretation, and that was the Jorge Linares Luke Campbell title fight that we had on Saturday night that I was mm. at. Um, and I got to say, as a Luke Campbell supporter from the start, Luke Campbell won that fight. Okay, I took. Let me take off my my uh, cool hand Luke shirt off, and um, Campbell did a terrific job at adjusting. And nearly coming from behind and beating Jorge Linares. But um, we saw that I think Campbell was... It's interesting what happened in that fight, I think. So to start, Linares was basically countering Campbell and knew when to attack. And at some point, Linares thought he was Golovkin and thought he would walk Campbell down. Mm-hmm. And Campbell turned into basically the, the guy who was so successful as an amateur. Is basically like, I'll beat you to the punch. I'm going to counter you. And he did that beautifully. Mm. And he really proved um, that Linares could be outboxed. And uh, then Linares basically realized, oh, wow, this is a close fight. Took the fight back over and Campbell lost. But I thought that was a great showing for Campbell. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people that have spoken to me about Campbell before will know that I was a huge fan of his potential. And that in his more recent fights, the thing that I think's plagued him is his... Um, I think that he got it into his head that he was a vicious body punching knockout artist because of some of the softer opponents he had on his way up and while he was uh, getting his ring, uh, his round practice in. And he's not a vicious body punching knockout artist. He's the rangy timey, I'll beat you on the outside guy. And it felt like an IQ issue where his boxing IQ just wasn't there to utilize his best assets. And um, I feel like kind of a, a few rounds into this fight, it's like he had that epiphany that his arms are massive. And when he realized his arms were massive, he started to take control of the fight and do the things he always should have been doing. And I don't think that that epiphany came soon enough or strong enough for him to win the fight. I think he lost. But huge performance from him. I think he's going to have earned a lot of new fans. And if he can refine that that Luke Campbell and tap into the better parts of that fight, then he could live up to the guy he was always supposed to be. Yeah, I think... Um, so there's an interesting phenomenon in boxing where things can't happen too soon for guys. Because if it happens too soon, you don't learn. I think Austin Trout, one of the biggest, uh, I would say his biggest downfall as, as a guy who's very talented, was getting that win over Miguel Cotto. Like, it was great for, for Trout to win and beat Miguel Cotto when he beat him. You know, that was still basically a prime, close to his prime Miguel Cotto. But I haven't seen Trout do anything different since that fight. He's not developed... I mean, I, I don't want to say he hasn't developed, but there's been very little development. And with Lenores, it was similar because he knocks Campbell down early and then starts trying to do a bunch of things that they're just not the things that he usually does in fights. And for Campbell, he had so much success early in his career knocking guys out that he's been fighting like a guy who can knock guys out. And that's how he took his first loss. And basically reverting, or not reverting, but leaving that style behind in this fight is what had him get back into the fight. Mm. And it's interesting um, if if 
guys can face the right adversity early in their career, what actually can happen. And Campbell's the kind of guy that didn't face it. And it, and when he did, it was too late. There was no adjustment for him. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting how that played out in this fight. I think um, Lenares was, uh, I don't know, I was really disappointed in Lenares, actually, to, to just I, put I, it like I think- that. He did enough to get the win over a good opponent. He's beaten, you know, as they keep saying, an Olympian. Um, I, I think oh, it's one you, of those Max fights. Hellerman. I think it's one of those fights where both fighters' stock is going to have improved. Probably Luke's more so, but both of them are going to take a, a, a boon in this one. I, I I'll disagree with that. I think Lenars's stock has taken a fall because I think people thought Lenars was an interesting fight for Mikey Garcia, and I think what people will walk away with is that he's going to get destroyed by Mikey Garcia. Yeah, I, I think that should have been the conventional wisdom even before this fight, though. So if that's an, a new revelation for someone, then fair enough. Maybe that, that will make his stock take a dip. But I felt that way before this fight, so that that wasn't new information. Okay, well, I, I'm not sure if that's a humble brag or not, but we'll... I don't think so. I, I, I mean, do you think that it was credible to say Linares has a good shot of beating Garcia? Um, it's an interesting question. I, I think Garcia was always going to be the favorite. Um, but heavy as well, not just the favorite, but a wide favorite. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it was to the point where Lenars had no shot. Um, one of the things that I think people overrate with Garcia is his power. He's a, he's a puncher, no doubt about that. But I think... Mm-hmm against a guy like Linares, he's going to struggle to land that shot. You know, this isn't Dejan Zlatikanen who's going to walk in face forward with his chin out and say, knock me out before I knock you out. That's not what Linares is going to do. Mm. And the guys who've been able to get the better of him have been guys who have fought like Zlatikanen. You know, is you know, styles make fights and Linares just kind of folds under that kind of pressure. And Mikey's not going to do that. My And, and it's interesting that I... I think Mikey will fight like Campbell. I think he would make Lenares come after him. And that speaks to the intelligence that you see with Garcia of he knows he, he like he, he can adjust and develop a game plan that has the other guy walk into traps and beat themselves versus he has to go fish for a win the way, again, a guy like Zlati Kanan has to do, who's basically a, a blue-collar worker who goes and earns their win. Um by being tougher or stronger or whatever whereas Mikey's basically walking in as the winner because he's done the work ahead of time so uh I'm not even gonna actually there's there's one other topic that we could get onto but I don't really think so but what do you think Lenar or not Lenars I think it's obvious what Lenars should do next but what should Campbell do next um probably take a winnable fight back in America, if he can get himself on an undercard of a, a good event. And because I, I think that he's earned some interest and some attention from the U S audience. So if he can get on a free to air TV undercard, um, of a bigger event and fight someone winnable and look good again, then that's probably the, the next thing he should be looking at before, um, he looks to cross any big bridges. Uh, and th- there, there are some options out there. I don't know about um, a free-to-air thing unless he's fighting on FS1, but even then, that's still cable. I, I, mm, uh, when I say free-to-air, I mean like it was this weekend, no pay-per-view. Oh, you mean like, okay, fair enough. I, I think 
for Campbell, there's a lot of guys at lightweight that he could fight, and I, I and especially because you said somebody who he can beat. But I, I think so. Lightweight's an interesting division. Like there's just like the top guys, and then there's everyone else. There's no real like drop off or not drop off, but like slowly you can, um, you know, it's just the good guys and then the guys that are okay. And I think what's likely going to happen is we're going to see Campbell fight the winner of Krola Burns. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, that's winnable. That's, that's sensible. Oh, are you just going to insult Anthony Krola and Ricky Burns like that? I mean, yeah, kind of. I, I don't think Burns has a good shot in that, but I think Crawler does. Um, but the interesting thing is that I think Ricky... Is Ricky Burns really going to go back down to 135 after fighting at 140 for a couple of years? The weight lines seem to be blurred um, in and around that division at the minute where there's lots of mobility with people nipping up and down and it... I don't know. Maybe it's always been that way, but it certainly feels a little bit more mobile than it used to be. Well, for a guy that's 5'10", 34 years old, it seems uh, like a like an, like a big ask to drop from 140 to 135. But mm. Eddie has ways, and we'll get to those ways a little later. But over in um, Texas, Junior Dorticos knocked out Dmitry Kudryashov in two rounds in what was one of those don't-blink fights. And mm. here's here's my takeaway from this fight. There's not much you could take away from it other than this. Why, why was Kudryashov trying to box? Did he, did he really think that he had a shot at basically boxing and opening up like Kudry, uh, Dorticos for something? It seemed like a, a stupid idea. Um, I, I think it was um, kind of... Do you remember he had that fight with uh, Duradola? Um, I remember it. I don't know if he does. <laughs> or at least the I, first I, one. I think that it it, it was all the, the the hallmarks of the same mistake with someone who hasn't had any improvement from the, that point onward. And you see this a lot with guys who are punchers. Like they they're just so like he just looks so out of his element if he's not throwing a big shot. And his shots are so wild. And especially you get a guy like Dorticos who knows what he's doing in there. I mean, this was an an, an inevitable um conclusion. And I really, I think it would have been a lot more interesting to see Kudryashov against one of the other guys, because Dordikos, not only was he probably going to beat him always, but he was going to like hurt him because this guy had power. But a guy like Ushik, who's not the biggest one punch guy, this would have been a lot more interesting to see if Kudryashov could have, you know, overcome something. But the guy's got, and I hate to say this, but the guy's got very little punch resistance. I mean... That, I, I think it's more than that in the sense that it's when there's adversity doesn't deal with it well. When things even minorly stop, stop going his way, it becomes it has like a snowball effect. And it, it feels like once you kind of get to him, he's done. Uh, what, what do you think about this? It was a comment that said that he looked very sluggish and slow. And he thinks that um, Russia was not allowed to give him the PEDs that he normally gets, and that's why he lost. No, I, I, I think when 
well, at least in this fight, I think the kind of sluggish and slow you're seeing is somebody who isn't sure how to approach the fight. It's someone who's being forced out of their game plan and that they don't really know what they want to be doing in the fight. And it makes them look sluggish and slow, but it's not a physical thing. It's a mental thing where strategically they just don't they don't know what to do. Uh, that I'm more along those lines. I, I really think that Kujashov was kind of out of his element. And I started off by saying, I don't know why he was boxing. And that's exactly why. I mean, a guy like that, you're, Randall Bailey had a lot of success as a, as a boxer. And he did it by not boxing. He did it by basically waiting and waiting and waiting. Because he knew, I only need one shot. And that's the only shot I got anyway. So I only need to basically load up that shot, land it, and I, and I win fights. I mean, I actually think Randall Bailey has held the world title at some point in his career. So it, it, it's, a, it's a strategy that works. Uh, but Kujashov, unaware of that strategy. So I guess um, this is very likely the end of Kujashov. I don't really, like, he's, I don't know. There, I don't see anything go, for, going forward. The, the book is out on how to beat him. What did you say? Well, the other one is that it's not um, that they're a big draw that, you know, it's not it's not a really huge established famous boxer who's taking a loss and just has to um, steady the path by taking some touch up fights. And, and uh, you know, the fan base is going to be there for him. I don't think it is one of those scenarios. I think it's like uh, you, you kind of got to keep winning and keep looking impressive or your star's going to fade. Yeah, well, I I think Kujashov, his star's done. Um, but speaking of done, let's talk about Oscar Valdez. And I'm not saying that Oscar Valdez is done, but that style's got to <laughs> go. It has got to go. And so, you know, Simon, I've been big on Valdez from the start. But I've also said one thing from the start as well, and that's Valdez thinks he's a puncher. Valdez is considered a puncher, but the guy has no power. I mean, think about it. If Valdez had Kujiashov type of power, Cervania wouldn't have lasted more than three rounds. He would have been unconscious inside of four rounds, as Conor McGregor would say. Just no doubt about it, because he was landing the power shots. And it's crazy when you think about it, because Oscar Valdez is very fast and throws haymakers basically all the time, and he lands them. But doesn't do any damage. I mean, Cervania took those shots. I mean, with the exception of that one shot that dropped him, Cervania had no trouble whatsoever with any punch at any point during the fight. I mean, did you see something that maybe I missed? Um, no, I, I, th I think that's fair enough commentary. I, I think it's a difficult fight to really get a measure of. And I remember someone asked whether Valdez is overrated. Um, and it, it's, it's difficult to answer because when you've got someone like Cervania... They had skills, and it's always really pleasing to see where they find someone who's only fought in um, a kind of domestic area and hasn't really shown that they belong on the world stage. And they bring them over, um, and they look on paper to be a kind of easy, beatable opponent that doesn't have much of a shot in the fight. When they can make it close or when they can um, have success, it's really pleasing to see someone start to get that success on the world stage because you know how much it's going to mean to them. Um, beyond that, because we haven't really gotten a measure of Savania, it's difficult to say whether Valdez is overrated or whether Savania is a bit of a hidden gem that's just starting to shine. It could be a bit of both. It, it's, it's difficult to get a measure of, and all that you can really be certain of is that it was a really exciting and interesting fight that didn't go at all how I think many people expected it to 
from when it, you know from the matchup. Uh, you thought that this was a good fight? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting action both ways. Um, I think I went into it expecting to see a kind of lopsided um, one, you know, beatdown 120, 108 style um, against someone that wasn't really going to offer much of a, a resistance. But I think with um, the knockdown and I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think it's like fight of the year potentially, but I, maybe it was a good one. Uh, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't like this fight. Fair. I, I thought the Ramirez heart fight was better. Uh, but I just, there's something about Valdez's style that isn't pleasing to watch in my opinion. I, it, it just occurs for me like, um, like, I don't know. It's tiring. Watch him fight. Like I, it's just, he throws too many heavy shots and there's no you know, I don't know why, but there's I just have a problem with somebody who fights that style. I guess you know what what it probably boils down to, if I really think about it, is it's frustrating to watch him, and it, it becomes a well, chore because it's like, is it because you're such a big fan that you find it annoying to see someone not live up to your expectations of them, and that's why you found it more frustrating than perhaps I did because I've not been on the Valdez hype train. Uh, I would say that that could be. I I. I'm willing to consider that that might be one of the the possibilities or maybe just why I personally didn't find it fun to watch this fight. But it, for me, it's just like I just see everything that he could be doing. I see potential mm. getting wasted. And, and, you know, I'm saying that I don't want it to seem like I'm putting him down or saying that Valdez isn't any good because that's not what I'm trying to do. But I am saying more that he, I know how good he can be. He's mm. an Olympian twice. And if you've seen him early in his career, you, like there are signs that he shows that like this guy can be brilliant. That's starting to sound like someone. Uh, I Let me know who it is. From uh, the previous fight against Linares. Nope, don't know who you're talking about. That guy is good. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I'm keeping my British fans. You you you're, you go to Texas and you're trying to get rid of all of yours. Uh, although you're not trying to make any American ones. Before we started recording, Simon's like, "Who are these people?" I'm like, "Oh God." Um, but anyway, uh, I just you know I see a lot of um, uh, I just see a lot of potential. I see a lot of things that he could be doing that he's not doing. And it's frustrating to watch. It's like, and especially if you mm. watch him for several fights, it's like, okay, you have what? You're still doing this? Presumably, they're going to try and get a rematch, though, for him to um, outshine the whole fight. Surely that's what they do. What? What do you mean, what? Like, why wouldn't you do that? A rematch with Cervania. Yeah, why not? Okay, well, let's start with why would you? Because you're Bob Arum. That, for I sure... I think that it's winnable. It. I found it an interesting fight, which means that Probably at least one other person did. So it's going to have some people interested in seeing it. And I think Savenia offered a good resistance. And they'll want to show that Valdez can learn from that and not let him have as much success. Okay, but the fight wasn't competitive. I, I don't think, like, super close or anything. But it, it had more competi like competitive elements than many people were expecting. Like, I think that it was closer than it had any right to be. Um, I, I'm against it. I, I think that there are other fights you can make at. 
um, featherweight for Valdez and you don't need to go down the route of having him fight Cervania again. I mean, Cervania did earn a, earn a shot at fighting on, um, on fighting on, uh, I guess ESPN or top rank, whatever he earned his shot at fighting again. Like that was good. That was a good mm-hmm. performance from him. I was, I was pretty happy with what I saw from him. Uh, let's move on The Jesse Hart and Gilberto Ramirez fight. Like where, do, where did you stand on this one? So I, um, I thought that they should have called it like stoppage style for Hart early on when he, he took Ooh, a count, he took a count and, um, they got to 10 on the count and then said, walk towards me. And rather than walking towards the ref, he slumped into the corner and then started breathing heavily. And the ref just said, box on and let the fight continue. And I thought, well, this is going to end any minute now. But then like he had this resurrection just came back. Like I, I was stunned at, uh, at how I got himself back in that fight. Um, definitely a more entertaining fight. Uh, yeah, re- really close. Uh, I don't I don't know how Ramirez let it be that close either. Um I you have an interesting take on this fight. I wasn't I wasn't prepared for that. Um I thought it was a really close fight. Like mm-hmm. I guess I I don't think it should have been stopped. I thought Hart was still doing the things that you want to see a fighter who's hurt and I think he deserved the chance to um you know, show something. And he did. I mean, mm-hmm. he, it took him a little while, but he did show something. And I thought that Ramirez was just too much in the end. I think he, he basically, um, it reminded me a lot of the Benavides fight. Did uh, you remember that fight? Um, vaguely. I'm trying to like place it at the moment. Okay. I think, well, I think a lot of, a lot of the, expectation was that Ramirez was going to blow out Hart and I've seen Hart fight enough to know that that was likely in the cards and um then I, as the fight was getting closer and you, you know I usually don't do this I started to get doubts like hmm maybe Ramirez is a little overrated and that isn't to say that he's not the best guy at 168 because he very likely still is but he's not on that level of like elite fighters yet and he that's hasn't an got group. this huge distance between him and it's not like him to second place is this vast chasm and no one can touch the guy on top. It is definitely closer than that. And I want to like clean up. I don't think that Hart should have been stopped, but I did think at the time there was an argument for it. Obviously, how he came back into the fight proves that he, he shouldn't have been stopped in the second. But given how he responded to that count, at the time that it happened, I was thinking maybe that should have been stopped there. But I, I think that I was wrong. And uh, his his success later on in the fight proves that. Yeah, I, I actually think this is the fight that there should be a rematch. I think if Ramirez mm-hmm. doesn't catch Hart being aggressive early, this could very well have been a, a very close, if not maybe the decision goes the other way with the right kind of judges. Mm. Um, who prefer what Hart was doing. I mean, Ramirez's defense was awful at times. And I think also Ramirez just fights with that confidence. Like, I, I, I know I can overwhelm you. I know I'm bigger than you. Like, he fights like a guy who's fighting guys that he knows are, like, smaller. Like, basically how you would imagine a guy like Earl Spence would fight if he was fighting a guy from 130 pounds. He'd just bully the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ramirez has that, but I think it's going to catch up to him at some point. I mean, he he also looked 
hurt at one point in the fight. Um, Hart landed a right hand, even though, uh, you know, Teddy was calling for it like for like nine rounds before he landed it. But yeah, you're, you're right. I'd, I'd watch that again. Um, do me a favor, though. Go, go and have a look at that second round knockdown. Look at the count. And I think that it's a sketchy count. Like, I think that he, he got lucky to oh, get away with it. I'm not even going to do that. We're going to talk about more sketchy stuff. <laughs> you know, you, wanna, right. you, you bring up sketchy. And then that leads to controversy, and that leads to corruption. So oh, we're gonna, no. yeah, that's where we're, that's where we're going. Um, and for the record, I don't believe there's any corruption in boxing. Like, no. I know that there is, but I'm not going to call it. I I don't you know on the world level we don't see it enough. On the fights that you watch on TV, there's not enough to, to say corruption. And for the person that thinks that Huey Fur- Fury, oh shoot, I forgot to talk about. I write down Huey Fury uh, Parker fight. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what we're going to talk about. Um, So Huey Fury challenged Joseph Parker for the heavyweight title. And against all odds, Huey Fury did not win a decision in his hometown. How could this be, Simon? The judges, were they corrupt towards Joseph Parker in Manchester? It was funny. All the people before the decision was announced were like, oh, here we go. Another corrupt hometown decision. And it's so funny that like... They often don't have... It's like every time the home guy gets it, that's home home cooking. And every time he doesn't get it, then that's just the exception to the rule. But if you, like, add them up, I, you know, there's there's not a huge lean one way or the other. Minor, maybe, but it's not huge. But, um, my, what a terrible fight. That's, uh... Do we do awards for, like, least entertaining title fight of the year? I mean, we definitely could, but I just can't remember all these fights because I delete them from my memory. Because <laughs> this one has a look in. Um, I, I, I it scored it ugly. that they, they both lost. <laughs> so basically the old Canelo Laura. They, they both lost and no one gets the belts and they both have to retire. That's the rules. Well, um, but no, it, it, it was um, one of those fights where like they both had really minor success and in different ways so it, it just you could basically score this one kind of 120 108 in either direction maybe there's a round that you can say is definitely uh parkers but i i think that you could pretty much argue it e- either way with some degree of credibility uh i don't know about 120 108 i mean unless you fall asleep at the start that's very <laughs> which is also too. possible and and maybe not quite that extreme but most rounds if not all of them you can argue either either fighter got i think in my opinion i thought parker won um and that that was the actual result parker did win and Mm. see the thing is the argument for parker is that he did the things that actually look like winning a fight landing Mm -hmm. punches um, he he was cleaner the The whole fight his his shots were cleaner just way fewer of them and here's the one thing I'll say for, and if you thought Fury won, if you're one of those people that thinks that there's some sort of corruption or like, I, I'll hear out your argument that 118 to whatever, one whatever was a little too wide. But here's the reason why I think Fury lost. Or if you think Fury won, there's a lot of body work that didn't get scored. I know for a fact because Parker was consistently landing in every round and if he wasn't landing upstairs, he was landing to the body. And that counts for something, especially when Huey's over here landing four punches around. And they might be nice-looking punches. They might be sweet counters. But um, if you, you're outlanded like 10 to 4, 
and your punches look nicer, but you still got punched 10 times in the body pretty hard. Well, the other guy who landed the 10 punches is the winner. And I think that happened in a lot of rounds. Like, you know, I was monitoring the chat and the people who were um, like calling for fury. Like, I just realized you guys aren't, you guys aren't scoring the body punches like that. There, there was clear fury was la- or not fury. Park was landing hard shots to the body. Fury landed one right hand upstairs and it's like, Oh, that's a fury round. I don't think so. Uh, and that, that's a tendency. I think a lot of people have in fights is to ignore body shots. Um, if you want one of the arguments, and this isn't a good argument, but, um, the argument for Canelo beating Laura was that Canelo landed a lot of body shots. Now it's a bad example. Cause I think that's another one of those fights where neither guy deserved to win. You both should have been put on a 10 month suspension after that fight. <laughs> Go and think about what you've done. Yeah, you, you just you just hurt pay-per-view sales for a year. Uh, so I, I thought Parker won, and I, I just... They need to make Parker versus Wilder. Like, these dudes are wild. Parker's over here just like... He's gambling. And he, he paid the price a couple of times by getting countered. But for mm. the most part, Parker is... He, like, he was just gambling, throwing haymakers. And Fury, you know, a good enough boxer that he was able to avoid them. But I think Wilder versus Parker is like four rounds of chaos. See, I, I think um, there was a, a big period of time where Wilder was fighting really low-quality opponents and wasn't really fighting the best he could and whilst having a belt. So it led to a lot of people being really critical of him being a kind of paper champ and that he's not fighting the caliber of opponent he should because he's not very good and look how bad his fundamentals are and X, Y, and Z. And I think that we've kind of got to the point where it's gone too far the other way now where people think Wilder's a joke, but... For my money, Wilder lights up Parker in this. I mean, you know, if, if if Parker's getting tagged by Fury in that way, imagine if it was someone with as much power on their shot as Wilder puts in. Um, I think that it, it makes Wilder's stock raise that he, he looks better than uh, than people give him credit for. Because I think that for so long, people have been comparing Wilder to the quality of people like Klitschko or, you know, Joshua now. Um, and I think where you make those comparisons... It's obvious that that Joshua and Klitschko are from a school of like more refined strategic technical boxing. But if you're setting the benchmark against people like Huey Fury um, or Joseph Parker, it makes Wilder look a lot more credible as a champion, I think. I yeah, that, for sure that. But I I think you mm, you might be a little higher on Wilder than I am. Uh, Maybe. I mean, I'm not I think very high on the heavyweights in general. I mean, it's where you kind of like counteract uh, the conventional wisdom, I guess. So, like at the minute, the way that I see it is that too many people are a bit too critical on Wilder because, yeah, he uh, he does kangaroo punches sometimes and windmills sometimes, and like definitely isn't as technical or as polished as some of the better heavyweights. But he's got a lot, you know, going for him as well, and I think people overlook that in there. Um, eagerness to make fun of his windmills. Well, I I wasn't looking at um, you know I do think you're right that Wilder's more refined than Parker. Parker's a little wild at times, um, and more like that's a lot to be more wild than Wilder. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he has wild in his name, but I I just think that the styles match up, and I do think that you're right. Wilder does win the fight, but for the four rounds that that fight lasts, it's going to be you know you're not going to want to blink because at any point these dudes are going to land something big. 
mm-hmm. you know both guys are just they're the type of guys that you know if you put them in the ring they're going for it you know you, you get guys that you put them in the ring um was it Juan Diaz versus um Juan Diaz had a fight and everyone thought that this was going to be the fight of the year contender and it, they just seem like oh yeah this is a fight between two guys that they when they when you get these guys in the ring they are going to basically throw down and the fight was awful it was one of the most like disappointing fights on HBO that year and um i think it was uh Juan Diaz versus Michael Katsidis it might have been the the Katsidis fight that was really disappointing um, despite what you thought you had going into it, but um, that's so, so. What's your point? Are you saying that because of that, maybe Parker Wilder won't be fun? Or no, I'm saying that it will not be like that. Okay, that that um, has a tendency why, to happen why? occasionally. What, what, what makes you think that this will be different to that? Because both guys have a lack of um, skill. That they know that they're not going to outbox the other guy, and mm. they're just going to. I I've seen enough of their fights to know that they are going to go for a knockout if they were to get into the ring with with each other. Wilder's not going to respect them. Parker's not going to respect them. That's that's a fight we need to see. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not saying Joshua Parker because I think Joshua would box too much. But Joshua fancies himself as a boxer, believe it or not. But um, let's move on to some other th- topics. Uh, I want to talk about Canelo and Golovkin. So Golovkin wants to rematch now. Golden Boy wants to rematch now. Canelo just wants to help people out in the earthquake. Um, But here's the thing. Golovkin is not going to get what he wants. There's no way they're going to get Canelo in the ring in December. It doesn't seem likely, and it seems like they're pretty locked in on the strategy of fighting on Mexican Independence Day and then on Cinco de Mayo. And and here's the other thing. So you just had had a pay-per-view in August that was $100, and then you had a pay-per-view in September that was $70. Do you really think that you're going to convince the public in December, around Christmas time, that you should spend another $70 to watch a fight that you've basically already seen? See, I think, yeah, I think they could do it. And I think that the reason that the uh, two Mexican holidays work so well for pay-per-view sales is because families are together, people are together, and they want something to do while they're together because like you know it's it's one thing to go and see your family but then you have to like say things to them and talk in that and if you can put something like boxing on that everyone's interested in that's a kind of exciting event then it's something to do it's a laugh and i think that that does work at christmas if everyone's together for the holidays which i think they would be so yes i think that from a marketing point of view they could make it work but i don't think it's the wisest move it's 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 not and it won't do a good number and the reason why other than what i what i laid out is there's a reason why Mex- the the two mexican holidays do so well as pay-per-views and they'll do better than christmas time or thanksgiving time because you can have more people at your house for those two holidays because you can have a barbecue where people are sitting outside and in the house during during in some parts of the country not where i live but in some parts there's snow and you can't hang out outside by the grill by the pool or just on the grass throwing the football around in the snow i mean you can but like who really wants to do that i've been in in snow once it's like a hassle to take off your snow boots and then you you got like snow um the 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 frozen snow 
ice. Then you have the ice that gets in the house and it's getting on the carpet. Like, who wants to do that? But yeah, in, I, over here, I can see that. I I don't understand the American like family holiday culture that well yet because I've only just got here really. Well, because we um, like to talk to each other. I don't know how you guys do it over there, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, a stony, reserved silence uh, and an awkward cup of tea. Well, th- see, that's that's where you guys went wrong. You started you started off with tea. Tea's not mm-hmm. good. <laughs> Who wants flavored water? Seriously, I know British people. I know I won you guys over earlier with my glowing, you know, compliments. You just lost all Campbell. credibility. But honestly, tea, or well, I mean, I guess if you put milk in it and like sugar. But I'm just talking about plain tea. I've never put milk or sugar in tea before. It just seems like you're not supposed to. You know, British, like a British person wouldn't do that. They have like lots of class and refinement. It's, but like, it's interesting though. You, you kind of hit a different note where um, in the UK, the boxing watching culture is very much sports fans in the pub on a Saturday night. And that's every weekend. You don't have to wait for a special weekend or a special month to do that. Every Saturday is in the pub night. Um, at least it can be. So I think that that's why there's... Um, less of this calendar observance in UK pay-per-views because you can make them work whenever you want, really. As long as you're not competing with something, uh, some other big cultural event, you're probably in the clear. Well, sounds like you guys are awkward and don't like to be around your family, but in America, like, family's a big thing. It's the most important thing. You, you disagree? You're I, unaware I'm, of it, I guess. <laughs> I'm unaware of it, yeah. So you're used I to sitting at home by of yourself. miles away from my family. Yes, exactly. Point made. Thank you for making my case. Okay, so they're not rushing into that rematch. It's going to be next uh, next May. I told you guys before the fight happened, book your calendars, book your rooms. It's going to happen. It's going down. So uh, another rematch. David Hay will fight Tony Bellew on December 10th. And I just want to say right now, this is a horrible idea. I don't know what David Hay is thinking. I guess it's like, I want to get paid again. Well, he David, needs to write that wrong, doesn't he? David Hay's going to lose. I guarantee you think? That's interesting. Go on. Give, give me why he's going to lose them. Okay. So, Simon, when did he last fight? Well, same time last year. Oh, oh okay. Okay. All right. Same time last year. Um, it was actually not. It was March of this year. Okay. Is boxing a pretty, like, strenuous activity? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So it is. Now, he's basically saying, I'm going to come back in seven months to fight. It's not happening. And the reason why is because you cannot tear your Achilles and be back in competing at an elite level at a sport in seven months. It cannot happen. I don't even think it can happen on PEDs. David Hay will be a shell of himself. He, He won't be able to train the way he normally does. Because he's going to be nursing that Achilles. I mean, this is a horrible idea. He may prove me wrong, and I'd be willing to because I would love for nothing more than to see David Hay win. I, I, I like David Hay in this fight. I don't really care for him generally, but against Tony Bellew, definitely I want David Hay to win. But I'm just not convinced that you're going to come back and win with the Tony I mean, Achilles. No. He, he suffered that injury like during the fight. And he was still, like, that fight was more competitive than a guy with one leg should be. Yeah, I mean, sure. So if he if I'll he's coming in with 1.5 legs, surely that still tips the balance into his favor. Okay, 
Kobe Bryant tore his Achilles. Okay. You know who Kobe Bryant is? I do, yeah. Was this a tear, though? Was it a different injury? It's a tear. Tore his Achilles. Okay. okay. Now, David Hay thinks that he's cool because he, um, you know, was able to box a few rounds and beat Tony Bellew, but that was Tony Bellew. Kobe still shot free throws, walked off the court on his own, like, on his own, all right? But um, he, it took him, like, a year, more than a year, I think, to get back on the court. Mm. I mean, it's just, and Kobe's, like, an insane athlete, you know? Like, just, you can just go over, read the stories about him. I mean, this is a guy that calls up trainers at, like, 3 in the morning and says, I want to go on a bike ride. And so I don't think David Hayes going to be able to, I mean, I, I'm worried that suppose the Achilles is fine there. You have to. So when he's training now to get back into shape and everything, there's going to be compensation because he's going to not want to put this full, you know, weight on the Achilles and maybe he's just going to take it easy. Well, now he's putting more wear and tear on other parts that have to compensate for him taking it easy on that Achilles. So now you have uh, uh, basically like his knee or his quad. Something's going to get pulled or something. And it's basically this guy's falling apart. If you watch mm-hmm. baseball, you know, Matt Kemp had this thing where he got one injury and all the compensation led to like three years of Matt Kemp being not good. And I think he's finally healthy and having a good year. But like these injuries, they, they like snowball. So yeah, I don't and, like and his Hay chances. is injury prone. He is injury man. Um but I, I think where the, the clock's kind of running out on his age and um, AJ might lose a fight or uh, eclipse him in star status. So I, I, I think that Hayes' ambition is beat Bellew in style and then fight AJ next year for loads and loads of money. Jesus Christ. Uh, That's, he, he wants to make loads and loads of money and he's in a position to do it, all he has to do is right the wrong against Bellew by beating him with more than one leg. Um, Even if it's one and a half leg. The other thing that is going to happen to him is he's not going to have any power. He's not going to be able to push off on his legs like the way he usually does. Like If he's not able to outbox Tony Bellew, and he wasn't, mm-hmm. um, according to the cards, this is going to be trouble. So I'm not optimistic about this fight whatsoever. If you're David Hayes' manager and your job is to get him as much money as possible from boxing, it has to be this. Can you think of any better route than this? Uh, do the fight next year. Give yourself a little more time to heal. That's all I'm saying. I'm just. I, I'm not time, opposed to the fight. I'm just saying the situation could have changed. Like right now, he needs to strike while all of the stars are aligned for him to make a huge, uh, like uh, killing against AJ. Dude, what is he going to do in the meantime? Like wait for Tony Bellew to get fat? Like he already is. Who? Sorry. Hey, like nothing's changging. Bellew what I'm saying is that and AJ will if, still be knocking dudes out. Yeah. The thing is though, is that at some point AJ could become like undisputed. And when that happens or if that happens, it gives him this enormous leverage when they're negotiating pay-per-view splits. And if Hay can get, uh, right now, Hay is popular enough with the public. You know how fans love him. If he can win a Bellew fight in style, um, he'll, he'll have all the conversations about how, oh, one punch from Hay and that'll end um, 
I'll end AJ, you know, he won't let him escape like Klitschko did. And all of those conversations will start up and it gives him the leverage he needs to get a bigger split of the pay-per-view purse. Whereas if, if he lets AJ become too big, he's not going to be able to catch up and give himself a good argument. And all that's going to mean is that he can still do that fight, but he has to then just take whatever they're willing to give him as a split. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't. I think Hay, if he beats Bellew specifically, is going to be in the position to make his demands. Now, he's obviously not going to be the A-side. Nobody at heavyweight's being the A-side over AJ at this point. But mm-hmm. he's still going to be in a much better position than any other heavyweight to dictate terms, especially if that fight is happening in the UK, which mm-hmm. obviously it would if it's Hay versus Joshua. Yeah. Let's move on um, to another rematch rematch heavy news this week but this time it's a little different because Manny Pacquiao has rejected the rematch with Jeff Horn and according to Bob Arum which that is always like a a red flag it's always like a a precursor to say probably not true Um, yeah it's like sources say sources Um, say Terrence Crawford (laughs) is going to be positioned to fight Jeff Horn now if he really wanted Terrence Crawford to fight for the welterweight title he would have fought Manny Pacquiao a long time ago don't you think so uh, yeah, I, I do think. So what? What I don't understand why all of a sudden now it's like it's oh. all kind of screwy. Why do you think Pacquiao refuses that fight? Um, he wants to do it in the Philippines first of all. Like that's Pacquiao's demand is he wants to do it in the Philippines, and Bob has said straight out we can't make money in the Philippines. I, it's odd that they think that. Why do you think that they can't make money in the Philippines where he's massively popular? <sighs> well, just because of the economic situation. I that would probably be part of it. And I think maybe another part of it would be um, there's so and a, a lot of times with these fights, especially with a guy like Manny Pacquiao with who has a, a pretty large upfront payment, um, that money has to be somewhere. And typically promoters on big fights don't put up that money. It's why Vegas gets all the big fights because they're, they have the bankroll to say, well, Floyd Mayweather is getting forty million, and Andre Berto is getting six. Well, we have that in the in the vault right now, so we'll put that up as collateral, basically, to so that we can write the checks. But really, they're going to get their money after the fact when you know we cash all the all the checks that we got yeah. from the people. And so, if you go and and that's why he fought Jeff Horn in the first place is because Australia was putting up that site fee, and uh, in the Philippines they're. At, at least at this point, not going to put up enough money that could basically have this fight, you know, make it even possible. Mm. So, so you, you think purely economic reasons that's what, uh, that's what, what caused Aram that said. refusal? That's what Aram said. I mean, unless you, you, you want to say that Manny Pacquiao is scared of Jeff Horn. I do not want to say that. I don't even know. It's just weird from my perspective. I've not really got a lot of insight onto to why that's happening. Uh, I can't figure it out. Why Manny Pacquiao scared of Jeff Horn? No, why why the fight gets refused? Why they wouldn't want to do a Philippines fight? Why Bob Arum um, and his need to earn loads of money always would come in the way of because there's like Manny Pacquiao's a, a cultural icon, and you know he he's a huge part of the Philippines like uh, cultural identity, and you would think that if there was a shred of like a human soul in Bob Arum that he might kind of concede ah this fight won't make that much money but it will be really important to a lot of people so let's do it because it's a nice thing to do for loads of people's biggest cultural hero well and in addition to that 
This is the guy who's carried your brand since you lost Oscar De La Hoya. Manny Pacquiao has carried top rank on his back for over a decade. And he has not fought in the Philippines. He's gone and done your stupid cards in Macau. That was a failure. He's taken on opponents that have not been the, the, the right moves for him. I mean, really, was Brandon Rios the right move for him? Was, was three rematches or two rematches with uh, Timothy Bradley the right move for him? No. He, he wasn't allowed to fight the PBC guys. The one guy he did get to fight, Floyd Mayweather beat him. Fair game. But that fight was inevitable to happen. Mm-hmm. So you can't do him a solid and say, yeah, you're close to the end. Let's do you a fight at, at, at home while you That's can That's kind still- of what I'm getting at. And I know that it's like a meme or whatever to think that Bob Arum's like the devil. But like... I don't know. In this scenario, there actually becomes some pretty compelling arguments. <laughs> that he's the devil. Uh, on next week's episode, we'll discuss <laughs> uh, all the reasons why Bob Arum is actually the devil. Now, I mean, look, I will say that Bob Arum is a shrewd and calculated and a good businessman. And he hasn't stood around this long because he doesn't know what he's doing. He does. But I think at some point, like Manny Pacquiao has carried the top rank flag. He's done his time. So I mean, his dues are paid massively as far as like top rank or, or Bob Arum at least should be concerned. Let let him let him have this fight. I mean, let him have a fight in the Philippines. Like, let's do it. How long has it been since a big fight has taken place in the Philippines? Mm. Been a while. But um, that's probably not going to happen. Terrence Crawford's going to go and beat up Jeff Horn and um, then... Basically, Manny Pacquiao has no shot at ever capturing a welterweight title again because he ain't beating Terrence Crawford. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that because, like, I I have Pacquiao winning that fight with Jeff Horn, making a bit of a mess of it, but winning it. Um, I, I think it was kind of unfair what happened. And, you know, from, from Horn's perspective, he's this unheard of school teacher that's now on the world stage and he wants to maximize his earning potential in his you know probably limited window of fame so it's difficult to have anything against the guy but it's kind of like at the same time where i think that he didn't uh win his title or you know win win, you know win legitimately um it it, is kind of cathartic to think about someone like crawford going and and uh, balancing the scale well, we all know where you stand on Manny Pacquiao, and as a big fan <laughs> of his, I understand your point. Um, but I actually think, well, we're going to do another podcast uh, next week, or not that next week, this week. Um, and uh, I've already looked at the topics for it, and one of them has to do with Jeff Horn. This is going to be a funny podcast. Simon probably doesn't want to be involved with it. Um, he doesn't- I-, I can't do jokes. Yeah, uh, I'm, it's, I'm not funny or entertaining, so you should get someone uh, interesting for that one. Well, you're also 90 pounds and um, that <laughs> <a> squeaky voice. <laughs> yeah, I should just kill myself. Yeah, you should. Uh, Simon Simon got some hate mail this past week, and uh, I thought it was really funny. And and I and I concur with the guy who was sending him hate mail. I think, you know, if Simon was a real man, he'd kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice learning that I'm 90 pounds, like. I feel way lighter. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing you're heavier than that. I mean, if you're like a full-size male, (laughs) you're no doubt probably bigger than that. But, you know, who knows? I've been wrong before. Uh, You could be a midget. I don't know. But Uh, let's move on. 
So there's something really interesting going on, I think, in boxing right now. And I think this storyline is going to get ignored. But the thing that you got to remember is that Al Heyman, this guy does what he has to do to get it, put his clients in the best position possible. Now, I know a lot of people don't like Al Heyman. They don't like what he's done to boxing. They think he's trying to ruin it, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but think about this. Danny Jacobs, advised by Al Heyman, has been advised to sign a promotional deal with Matchroom Boxing and a four-fight deal with HBO. Carl Frampton, advised by Al Heyman, was advised to sign with Frank Warren, which, questionable, maybe he doesn't know about Frank Warren's history of bouncing checks. Um, and with that comes an exclusive contract with BT Sport in the UK. And I don't know, like, could you compare BT Sport to one of our channels here? Um, no, not really. Um, oh, well, that's great. It, it it just doesn't have a proper analog. Um, is, is it like ESPN? Do like a lot of people have that channel? I think a lot of people have it because it has a lot of the football, um, but you, you pay for it ind- independently. So basically it, it's kind of like HBO in the, in the way that you pay a, a fee for it. Um, and then you can watch all their content once you've paid the fee for it. And HBO's big draw is probably like Game of Thrones is like their big thing with um, BT Sports. They've often had UFC and football as their their kind of big draw. And it was annoying when they used to have the odd boxing fight like match because I don't have BT Sports because I don't want to pay a year subscription for a channel that hosted two boxing like matches a year at that point. Um, it, it, it's kind of an odd channel. I like that. I understand the Danny Jacobs move way more than I understand um, Frank Warren's signing. Well, who, nobody really cares about that signing anyway. Um, so we'll talk about the Danny they Jacobs should, one. They should, because Fram- Frampton's like an excellent talent, and it, I hope that he gets good fights and that his career isn't put in jeopardy due to mismanagement or television issues. Well, we'll start with Jacobs. Um, so this doesn't make any sense. So... I understand it makes sense from like Jacobs's point of view, Matchroom's point of view, Heyman's point of view. That all makes sense. But I'm talking about from HBO's point of view. I don't understand why they would sign Jacobs. Because if you think about it, in the last year, HBO has now lost Terrence Crawford, who they spent a lot of money backing. They've lost Vasily Lomachenko, a lot of money, and the number one pound for pound spot um, in boxing. You know, they've lost that guy who they pushed. They've lost Manny Pacquiao. Their choice, but still. They've lost all these guys that basically have left with the top rank going to another network. And in return, they've gotten a super flyweights, Oleksandr Ushik, who technically they haven't got because now he's in the World Boxing Super Series and HBO's not touching that, and Danny Jacobs. So you lost mm. all these guys, and now you have Danny Jacobs. What, what was the point? It seems like a, an uneven trade. Now, maybe, and you know, from Jacobs' point of view, I understand that the reason you sign with Matchroom, um, you, you want to head up basically, like this is like a, like doing, maybe Heyman's doing her in a solid and say, hey, sign Jacobs. I know you want to be, become a promoter here in the US. You could take Jacobs and maybe a couple of my other guys and be their promoters here and, you know, do their fights. And, um, but the thing for them is like, well, Jacobs has guaranteed money now. He has guaranteed money from HBO, guaranteed money from Matchroom. And um, obviously, as a middleweight, they want, to posi- they want to position him to fight Canelo, Golovkin, or both. Mm. But they, they need a plan for the meantime. Uh, I think the, the plan for the meantime is to get a fight with Lemieux or Saunders. 
And I think Lemieux is definitely a doable fight. You know, we just saw Matchroom make a fight with Golden Boy. And I think that's the start. And possibly there's a handshake deal behind the, the scenes that Jacobson Lemieux will be a fight at some point in the future, probably mm-hmm. early 2018 after Jacobs has won basically hello fight on Matchroom. Uh, and Matchroom's move into America is an interesting thing too because their they're, they're, formula has worked really well in the UK. But for Americans that say, well, how's Matchroom's deal worked? And how has it been successful? And if it's so successful, how hasn't, or why hasn't anybody copied it? Well, there's not enough TV time. So what Matchroom Dif- does... Different coaches, yeah. What Matchroom does in the UK is the cards start at 11 a.m. Well, for me, Pacific time, 11 a.m. And the main event doesn't start till 2.30. So think about that. That's, Simon, how many hours of TV is that? Three and a half. Okay, so longer with the main event. But basically, you have three and a half hours of undercard. That's how they do it. So guys tune in early, they see these guys, and they make sure to stack that undercard with like, hey, here's a guy who's a big um, favorite. He's 3-0, and and he's from, name a small town in UK that the fight is taking place in, London. And- <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's from like London or something, I don't know. Liverpool. And, 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 and you have Tony Bellew, the headliner, who's from Liverpool. So, like, you got the Liverpool guys. You got a guy on the Olympics. So, there's reason for people to, to tune in early and watch. Like, oh, I want to check out that guy. And um, I don't know that Matchroom's going to be able to do that because the formula here in America is you have two types of cards. A really good card that has two or three fights, and those fights are considered... At least one is legitimate world level, and two is like if it's not world level, it's like the fight they're fighting for world level contention. And then you have the other kind of card that's a building card that has basically like either journeymen or prospects, and that's it. So I, I wonder what Eddie Hearn sees as his avenue to duplicating the success that he's had in the UK in um, the US. And to my knowledge, it's what PBC's already tried that with regional cards featuring guys from those areas, um, using different tiers of networks to put on different types of fights. Um, I'm not sure. And I'll be optimistic and think that maybe Eddie Hearn's got a trick up his sleeve. He sees something in the market that isn't being tapped into. It's uh, easy to be skeptical, though. Yeah, well, I can see you being skeptical. That's for, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Carl Fram deciding with Frank Warren, I don't, I don't, I mean... I guess the BT Sport deal is cool, but like you're, he, he's well. Does I don't even think Hearn has any more featherweights. Warrington's with Frank Warren, I believe. Lee Selby's either on his own or with um, Warren at this point. I mean, but nobody really cares anyway. Um, and then Frank Warren's cool to do deals with other people. I mean, we haven't seen a Frank Warren fighter in a big fight recently. Can you name? Mm-hmm. Uh, a Frank Warren fighter that's been in a big fight. Saunders Monroe doesn't count. Oh, that doesn't count. No. Um, Just because I'm, a fight happens on a big day of boxing doesn't make it a big fight. Trying to think who um, Kid Galahad's with. Uh, he's with Hennessy. So maybe. No, no, no. I'm wrong. He's with Cyclone, maybe? That doesn't sound right, but maybe. Okay, well, the point is who cares? <laughs> the point is who cares? Because Kid Galahad is not going to fight Carl Frampton. Like, they're not making that fight. Frampton wants the, the, the Leo Santa Cruz's, as he calls them, 
He wants Abner Morris. He wants those guys. Mm. He wants the big fights. And um, Kid Galahad ain't there yet. Talent, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about do people know him? And I don't think people really know him in the UK. Um, I'll have to ask some people that are from the UK if they know who he is. Um, and I'll get back to you guys on that. Uh, Simon, do you know who um, Kid Galahad is? Who's that? Uh, he's a guy that um, he was a really good um, super bantamweight boxer. And then he had to take a couple years off of the sport because his brother poisoned his drink with PEDs. That's not very nice of him. No, if I was his brother, I I would be very ashamed of myself. Yep. Let's talk about the fights for this weekend. Now, we've got three uh, three fights that I, we're going to talk about. Led one Bartholomew versus Eduardo Ramirez. That's happening on Tuesday on PBC on FS1. And that's that. Rocky Fielding will fight David Brophy, which is like not a joke name. Uh, that's on Saturday on Sky. That's a real fight. Um, that's that. And then uh, Saturday, Mar- Maris Bradis. Is that how you say his name? Uh, I struggle. It's, it's a weird one. Isn't it's, it? it's actually probably Maurice. Maurice Bradis. Bradis. It's like Brie Cheese and then Dis. He will fight Mike Perez on Saturday. Interesting fight. This is part of the Cruiserweight Classic. Or not the Cruiserweight Classic. Um, World Boxing Super Series. It's part of the World Boxing Super Series. Mike Perez, you may um, remember, was a heavyweight. He fought a couple of times on HBO. He had that uh, very tragic fight with Ab- Abdu Magomed Abdu Salamov. And um, then he looked horrible in his next fight after that. And there was a lot of rumors. Remember, he was trained by Abel Sanchez. There were rumors that, you know, he's basically kind of done in the guilt of putting his opponent into a coma, etc. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bradis is a very good cruiserweight. Um, I don't think he's the most entertaining to watch. He's not the favorite in this tournament, but I think it's a good fight. And I, I'm pulling for Mike Perez to turn it around, but I'm not optimistic on this one. Bradis is a big guy. Mm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting matchup. And it's not a stacked weekend we've got coming up, but that, that one's an interesting one. Yeah, this is the best one. And there's a lot of fights this weekend, but they're just not like... They're all kind of like C-tier, though. Yeah, I, that that would be appropriate to say. And those are the fights this week. Um, and that's really the end of our podcast. We do have another one coming up. Um, uh, it's uh, going to be like a mailbag, po- mailbag podcast. And I've looked at the questions. There's about 30-something questions. And um, Simon, you don't want to be a part of this. Uh, I- I'll just share one of them that we're not going to ask. Um Zhang Zili or Zili Zhang just KO'd Poli in one. Charles Martin did it in two. Does Zhang go forward with Joshua when they inevitably meet in Beijing? I will be in Beijing pretty soon, in a few weeks, actually. I leave on October 19th. I'm going to China. Um, this is What are you doing there? Are you rescuing Tom? Uh it would be a be a good oh, it'd be a good idea. You know, next Tuesday we'll record by then, but next Tuesday, Devin Alexander fights. Just want to point that out, just mm. in case anyone cares. No? Wow. All right. But um, uh, going to a wedding, and because... Uh, a wedding in China? Yeah, between Chinese people. I mean, that'll do it. But um, what's your connection to it? Uh, so the, the, the person who's getting married, the girl, she is friends with my girlfriend. And so mm-hmm. she invited her. And, you know, I, I wonder if it was one of those invites where it's like, let me just send an invite to everybody to be nice. But, you know, probably nobody's probably going to show up. And then my girlfriend, she called her bluff, um, much to, to my dismay. And she's like, well, you know, if I wanted to go to China for this wedding, would you go? 
and I was like, uh, "Oh, you called her bluff." Uh, she, she, I was like, "Yeah, yeah." It's like, all right. And then I thought it was one of those things where it's just like, actually, you know, now that I think about it, we we really shouldn't go. It's a long way to go for um a wedding. Um, but then she's like, "All right, so are you ready to get the the flight stuff?" And I'm like, "Whoa!" You, she's like telling me look up flights and stuff. I'm like, "Uh, she, she's called my bluff now." Yeah. So now I'm going to China. Well, enjoy. How long are you there? Okay, so here's the part where, like, she's very upset with me about this. So um, I'm leaving the 19th, and I come back on the 30th. And you know what fight is happening? Uh, not off the top of my head. AJ versus Pulev. Oh, now, right. I'm the first to admit, I, I love AJ. And I'm like, I'm not missing the fight. I don't care if, I don't care what time that fight is on. I'm going to find a way to stream it. Um, but she's, we're, that's the day of the wedding as well. So, um, I have no clue how this is going to work out. I don't know how the time difference lines up either. I I don't know. Actually, it's plus 16 from me. So it's plus eight from you. The next day. So if the wedding is, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to have to look at the calendar and hope it adjusts when I get there. Um, but man, I, I was actually, the last time I had to go to a wedding, it was a Lomachenko fight. I still watched it though. Hmm. Well, if if the main event happens like 11 UK time and you're saying it's eight hours ahead, then it's going to be like 7 a.m. on the following Sunday for you. Oh, I, I can do that. I can definitely do that. So you might you might get away with it. I'm doing it. Wow. All right. Well, glad we got that squared away. Um, when I'm away, that doesn't mean the podcast stops. We're going to figure out something so that there's a podcast. It won't be as good because I won't be on it. We'll probably have... I'll make sure to... to I'll make sure that whoever's filling in for me is not as good as me, you know. So you guys are like, man, I'm so glad he's back. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. Please leave us a review on iTunes, wherever you download the podcast, on um, Facebook. Do that for Leo, okay? Leo does a lot of work um, trolling you guys on Twitter. And so leave a review on Facebook. And then also um, we're going to be moving our website soon. You won't have to do anything different, but it'll have a different look soon. And we're just working out all the, the migration stuff, and it's going to be a lot cooler. The, it's going to be a lot easier to see, just go to the website and see the upcoming fights. You can see a, a feed to our Instagram, all this stuff. So a lot of cool things. There's another episode coming up um, this week, and I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast, and we will be back next week. Simon, thanks for coming on. Why I-